Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Coalescence Publishing Podcast. My name is Wyatt Sutherland, and I am here with Casey Long and a very special guest. Um, today's episode is an interview. Uh, so, but we're going to get the the uh, preludes out of the way so that we can go ahead and, and let this person uh, introduce themselves. Um, we are Coalescence Publishing, as, as you know, uh, if you're a, a returning audience member, uh, if you're a new audience member, Coalescence Publishing Studios. Um, uh, just a quick shout out, uh, our website did launch today. Successfully so, at that, we had no yeah. internet outages like we did last week, so that's good. Um <laughs> So yeah, you can definitely check us out at coalescencepublishing.com. We got some awesome novels on there. And um, just keep checking in. The website's going to be constantly changing and updating as we continue to grow. Absolutely. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if you like this content, if you like uh, what we do here. And check out our Patreon um, just so that we we can keep paying the bills and we can keep uh, supporting what we do here and giving you the content that you love. And so, so you can also see how we curtail these stories together, how we draft them up and make them hopefully <laughs> the masterpieces that we like to think they are. Um, so enough about us though we're you guys know who we are at this point fanny would you like to introduce yourself hello everyone uh, my name is fanny price and um i'm honored to be here congratulations on the website going live i know it's a big deal for you guys so congratulations to that i plan on checking Thanks. it out later <laughs> Uh, so I am an author uh, primarily in urban fantasy, and I have, t- well, technically I have three books out, but I have two that are in my Cambian Writer Chronicle series. The first one is After the Flesh. Uh, I released that a few years ago. The second one is Burn, and I am actively in the middle of almost finishing the last edits for the third novel came back haunted to make this a trilogy. It's not going to be a trilogy. It's going to extend, but this is the third book. That sounds really exciting. Um, So just curious before we dig into like the real nitty gritty of the interview here, um, which one has been your favorite to write so far? Good question. (laughs) Um, You know, actually, I think it's this third one because I put my my lead characters through some stuff and I think they grow the most in this one, not necessarily in good ways. You know, we can we can grow in bad ways as well, Um, but they they go through some things in this one. So this has actually been the most fun to write. It's also been the hardest to write, uh, probably because of there's been a lot of growth in it. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, that sounds really interesting. Um, you know, typically when we talk with authors and stuff, um, they always have had this special place in their heart for their first work. Um, but I um, recently finished my novel and 
I I hate it. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's good. I mean, I obviously enjoyed the uh, story aspect of it, um, but it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever written before. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I can relate to that. My my very first novel that I published was Dancing in Graveyards, and I I don't. You know, it is kind of a love hate because I look back at it and I feel like I've grown so much as a writer that I look at it and I I, I don't want to say that I cringe, but it's like, oh, God, I could have done so much better. But for where I was then, it's it's still, you know, it's still a good novel and it's still my baby. But um yeah, it's it's kind of a love-hate relationship that I have with that one, which is weird because um, people that I talk to, especially friends, that's that's their favorite. And I'm like, why? Just no. Read the other <laughs> ones. <laughs> mm. Why do you want to start us off on the uh, main interview questions? Uh, sure. So I, I just had a few questions. Um, I'm going to be really conversational here. Uh, when I, as a writer, endeavor to world build, um, one of the things that I think about most is the themes. Like, as our audience members know, uh, one of my biggest things is um, when you're world building for a fictional setting, you start with your themes and world build out from there instead of world building around um a rule or a law or something like that you world build around the theme of the story. What are you trying to get across to the right. reader? So, um, I, I just had a few questions on that note, which is, uh, so you already said that you're in the urban fantasy and you feel your books line up well with, with that genre. Like, mm, well, you know, I mean, I, I do and I don't because it it's, they're about, especially my Cambion Writer Chronicle series, you know, it's it's fantastical in the sense that it's about dragons that can shift. And it's about demons, and it takes place in our contemporary society. So it, it's it's got that urban fantasy feel to it, especially for people who are familiar with the genre. But there's also um, paranormal romance aspects of it. And there's right. also horror aspects of it, especially because it, it deals with demons. And I mean, in, in the quite literal sense, not, not in a sense of, you know, we're dealing with our demons like someone might be struggling with something, but literally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it kind of sometimes when I'm looking at that and I'm trying to figure out is this urban fantasy genre or will people see this as urban fantasy or is this, um, is this horror or will people look at this and say, well, it's got too many urban fantasies aspects of it to be horror. And, and I think part of that is because horror is such a, a large genre that, that you can kind of yeah. fall into, you know, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's pretty broad and, and your book, it does uh, get kind of, graphic at times. So, um, I would definitely agree. There are some horror elements, but I mean, we all know that genre is kind of like, it's not like this hard and fast rule. It's right. very, it's a flexible thing. And the only people who think of genre as like hard and fast are bookstores. Right. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so, so if, but 
from the perspective of themes and your world building, what themes do you feel like urban fantasy or, or dark fantasy, um, the book, the, whatever genre you feel your books like line up with most, what themes do you feel like, um, your books are uniquely equipped to address? Well, um, I don't know. You know, that question is kind of, I don't want to say it's a difficult question because I don't really, when I'm writing, I guess I don't really feel like I'm writing as far as themes. I get a a story in my head that I want to tell or, um, you know, some events that I, that I want to get across. Um, I think if anything, I use my characters to kind of mimic some of what's happening in the real world, but with a, that there's that lens that's in front of it because, um, in the world that I've built, these supernatural creatures are very much the minority. So I guess if we were, you know, in that sense, the theme of it is, is acceptance. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a difficult question. You wouldn't think that, that themes is such a hard question, but it really kind (laughs) of is. Um, and I guess that's kind of one of the reasons that I get, when I'm looking at at categories and genres, why sometimes it feels like my story does not necessarily fit into them is there's um, different aspects that I'm trying to, to discuss or, or relate. Um, As, as a writer, I, I want to, hmm, yeah, get across. It's, that's difficult. You guys stumped me with your first (laughs) question. Okay. I think I'm done here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good job Wyatt hey <laughs> um, well that maybe this this one it will be a little bit easier as uh, my second question um, what authors or works uh, work kind of a operated as as inspiration for your story so that one is is pretty easy um, Octavia Butler was probably my first inspiration um, as as a black science fiction writer. And when I read her stories, it's just it's kind of like, oh wow, this is this stuff is amazing. Um, because I've been writing, I want to say all my life, not all my life, but since I was four, I always would like write short stories and and stuff that I would never ever let anyone see the light of day, not even my mom or closest friends. Um, But I'd say that the real changing point came because I would always write, but it was always more of a um, writing for my myself or my own fulfillment. And I was standing in a bookstore uh, back when bookstores were prevalent and all over. And I was, um, I looked to my left because I was picking up a book I don't even remember the book that I was picking up. And I looked to my left and I saw this book by, um, at the time I didn't even know who it was, but it was this black woman on the cover and it was in the um, urban fantasy section. And that just struck me because it's, it was most of, and this is not a knock against the genre at all, but most urban fantasies, your main character is is going to be a female, and your main character is also typically a, a Caucasian female. And mm-hmm. in this, it's like, 
wow, this, this could be me. I could picture myself when I'm reading this book. And I picked it up um, and it was, I think it was like the fourth one. This is LA Banks. It was her, the bitten book. And I read it mm. and I was like, okay, I'm getting this. And then I realized once I got home that it was part of a series. And the following day I, I drove like 45 minutes because I couldn't find the first three anywhere else, except for this bookstore that was way out in the boondocks. And I picked it up and it was kind of, it, it's really inspiring. And Octavia Butler has this saying that unless you see yourself in it, you can't see yourself in it. So it's like, well, I want to, one of the reasons that I really want to write and put myself out there is I want to inspire, not in like an egomaniac way, but I want someone else to, you know, see this black woman and be like, hey, I can write urban fantasy too, or I can write thrillers too, or just I can write anything I want to, you know, it's, it's there, there's nothing stopping me, but but me, you know, there's, there's nothing that's right. really in the pathway anymore. So that was, that's what really changed it and said that I made me think that I'm really not going to write. I still write for myself because I write the kind of stories that I want to read. But at the same time, it's like, I want to write and, and, and inspire other people without sounding too hokey about it. Yeah, really. That's not how I'm really glad that you brought up um, Octavia Butler. That's a name I have not heard of in quite some time. Um, One of the first science fiction books I read was um, Blood Child, Mm -hmm. and the entire Xenogenesis trilogy is amazing, especially for the time that it came out. her theories of forced coexistence and the alienation caused by it was something that really inspired me as well with my earlier writings. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's making me really want to read your writing. <laughs> Cause yeah, I loved Octavia Butler. She's just amazing to me. She's like one of the top writers I've ever written, ever read. <laughs> She's, um, She's really good. Um, one of the themes, uh, not to go on an egocentric uh, boast here or anything, but one of the themes I really love when it comes to not only my writing, but um, with other people's works is isolationism. Mm-hmm. And Octavia Butler was one of my first inspirations for that concept. And I, I don't know, I, I think it's just wonderful because you can't really unless you're in that situation it's really hard to imagine it and her writing really helps you imagine the type of isolationism that goes on so yeah i i agree with that so oh that that was (laughs) that's pretty cool well uh you know uh yeah, I'm, that that's uh, really cool. How that inspired you to uh, to go to go ahead and and put yourself out there like that. Um, I know a lot of times it seems like fantasy fiction, uh, 
I won't say genre fiction in general, but but definitely fantasy um, does tend to have just just it's very Eurocentric and it and it does tend to not allow a lot of people of color to see themselves in the text and it's getting better. Um, it's getting better, but, uh, I think one of the keys is that like just encouraging like you, people like you encouraging, uh, other people of color to, to write what they want to write and, and say, it's okay for you to enjoy this and you to see yourself in this too. And I think that's really just incredible. Oh, thank you. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I just want, um, and you know, it, it is a Euro-centric area. And I think that's just because it's hard. I think because one, it's, it's so hard to, you know, publish um, in the past yeah. <laughs> with, with the big yeah. publishing houses. It's, it's very hard. Um, but sometimes people just don't, it's like, well, I have the story to tell, but there's probably no one who's really going to be interested in it. Um, and that's one of the things mm-hmm. that I was thinking, you know, I, I loved writing, but who's really going to be interested in my work? Um, and I, I want to say that it's, I don't want to say it's at the point where it's, I don't care who's interested in it, but I think it's at the point where I'm not as concerned or self-conscious that it won't be accepted. It's like it either will be accepted or it won't. Um, and some people Mm. will get it and some, some people won't. And that's, that's with anything, you know, it's not just because my, my character is a a black woman. It could be because it's demon because there's some people out there, especially, you know, when, if you get more religious that they don't want to read anything about demons, Mm -hmm. which is completely understandable. I, I, I'm not a superstitious person, but I do have a St. Michael card, a prayer card that I keep (laughs) just in case. Um, But that's also kind of why I chose to specialize. I don't don't know if specialize is really the the right word, but the um, characters that I choose to write are dragons. And and my main character is um, part demon because... um, because it hasn't been done. Well, it's been done, but not not to the extent of necessarily vampires and werewolves and fae. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to bring something different and put my own unique spin on it. Yeah. And that was something that I was definitely curious about as I was reading it. I was like, okay, well, what inspired her <laughs> to use dragons of all things like and that is that's i mean it's so cool because it's not some it's something that people nobody's ever really done before but it fits because it's it's like dragons transforming into into humans is as old as dragons (laughs) and so so it's like why has no one ever thought of this before um and i i thought that was interesting and i was like you know a lot of this is very urban fantasy feel you know i've read i read a lot of urban fantasy whenever i was younger and so i kind of picked up on a lot of the the vibes uh but then it was always that that thing where it's like oh this is dragons (laughs) (laughs) like this is like nothing that i've seen fae i've seen vampires i've seen werewolves i've seen all of that stuff um it's it was very unique and Um, to 
add on to that, Wyatt, going back to one of our earlier podcast episode conversations, um, people have a tendency when they start writing, and we'll get into the nitty grit of this later on in the interview, but um, I've noticed there's a lot of writers who are afraid to try new concepts because they're too focused on whether they'll be successful or not. And because they're worried on their success, they tend to follow others who have been successful and they follow in their footsteps, Mm -hmm. which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. People write what they want to write. And at the end of the day, it's not our jobs to tell them what they can or cannot do. But, you know, I think that's one of the contributing factors as to why it's something that's not really been seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think it's a lovely concept and I commend you for incorporating that into your story. It really, really gives it this touch, you know, that just screams with unique. Oh God, what's the word? <laughs> it's like bright, but better. yes, it's, did you have, oh did anybody gosh. else watch yes. that? <laughs> did anybody else watch that? Yes. yes, yes. Yeah. Like, and that, that that was such a disappointment to me because I've always loved the like you know I would play like video games like the Elder Scrolls and I'd be like what happens when somebody discovers oil and like industry takes off in the Elder Scrolls and then you've got orcs and elves running around with skyscrapers and cars and it's like what happens and then Bright came out and I was like this is going to be so great and then I watched it and I was like this is not it's not so it's um, mediocre at best. <laughs> um Um, but that you you delivered on those concepts in in a much better way well thank you guys um yeah uh you're a very talented writer not to cut you off i just wanted to say that oh thank you thank you so much you guys are good for my ego um (laughs) but really one of the reasons that i picked demons and dragons you know is is because it wasn't done and it's kind of I love how other writers, they do their own take on, on werewolves and vampires and, you know, they make it their own. One of the things is very hard to be original as far as, as, you know, the, the whole genre, because a lot of the main creatures have been done. So it's more of, okay, well, this is my take on what werewolves are. This is my take on vampires. Mm-hmm. So I kind of said, instead of doing that, and that's very much what dancing in graveyards uh, was about, you know, this is, this is how I see the world of vampires, werewolves and witches, but it's like, well, instead of doing that in, in a genre that's already well saturated with that, with some very good writers and very good stories, why don't I stay in that genre, but do something different? So that way, and it's not like it's a competition, but I feel less like I'm competing with all of the other vampire stories out there and all of the other werewolf stories out there and giving, you know, this unique spin on it. So that's kind of where that came from. Also, and I'm very demented, mm-hmm. apparently. So <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong yeah, with being and- demented. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think one of the things that that the element, this is probably the last thing that I'll say on on this particular topic, but one of the things that I think the elements that you incorporated from fantasy that you ported over 
into the urban fantasy genre from classic fantasy. Um, one of the key things that I felt as I was reading the story was this is, it, it's still urban. It's still kind of dark and gritty um, and, and, you know, graphic at times, but like just, it seemed a little bit more whimsical. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were meaning for that to be there, but, but just the inclusion of dragons mm-hmm. for me, like held like this whimsical fantasy feel to it where it's like, it's yeah. Yeah. They're, they're kind of, they're operating in this, like this framing device of a dark world, but you're talking about like, you're talking about archetypical heroes like the, the dragons, which is a sub, uh, you know, a subversion of dragons because they're typically not the heroes, but the, the fact that you have a dragon in the story as a hero figure and the dragon is, is very archetypically heroic. He he's compassionate. He's caring. He's going out of his way to help somebody. Um, you've got a romance subplot in there, everything like that. So it's, it seemed like in, in a genre like urban fantasy, that's so like sometimes overwhelmingly depressing and dark and dismal. Um, the, just including these, these classic fantasy motifs like dragons and heroism, um, added a little bit of whimsy to this dark world that made it more palatable. Well, thank you. I think dragons make everything a little whimsical, even when they're destroying things. I don't know. There's something about dragons that's pretty awesome. Look, <laughs> everyone, that dragon's destroying that shopping mall. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. How whimsical. Like, where will I get my <laughs> Levi's from now? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, um, my final question uh, is... Will do you think that you'll ever move out of the urban fantasy and try out different genres? Like we talked about genre and how it, it's kind of a flexible thing. And I know a lot of times authors will feel pigeonholed mm-hmm. by what the first genre that they write in. Um, so do you feel that way? And if not, do you feel like you would ever try something else uh i feel like i want to try something else it's actually kind of funny that you say that because um a few weeks ago i was listening to to your guys podcast and you were talking about westerns um and it's like i've always wanted to write um kind of like a steampunk western but it's one of those things where it's like i don't know if i'll be any good at it i'm not sure if i if i can nail it like i i feel like i've nailed urban fantasy to an extent. Um, I'm not sure if I would be as, as um, successful writing in, in that genre. Although I, I love, I love watching Westerns. It's one of my favorite um, type of shows to watch. And I enjoy reading Westerns, especially Westerns that have a very edgy, gritty element to it. So I would love to try that. Um, I would like real westerns, not spaghetti. Yeah, westerns. no, not <laughs> no, not not spaghetti westerns. Like real westerns, where maybe the hero doesn't necessarily win, or it's mm-hmm. it's more of a um, pirate victory. You know, they win, but at what cost do they win? Um, mm-hmm. 
But I, I don't know because it's and maybe it's because I I have not come with an idea of oh this would be a really great western. It's kind of like I I haven't thought of what I could really bring to that genre table. Um, now there have been a couple others that I've kind of dabbled with. Uh, I've dabbled writing a thriller, but again, it's like. I, I'm not sure that I'm quite capturing it. So I go back and read it and it feels like it takes a very long time when I'm writing it to get to um, the point of, of action or, you know, that, that point of no return of where everything changes for the character. So then I start to second guess myself and say, well, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. this isn't really going to work for me. Um, Maybe I need to go back to to my comfort zone, and I think that's it. And you guys can probably agree with this. As writers, we have our comfort zone that sometimes it's really hard to get out of that because I don't want to say we don't have we don't try our hardest, but it's easy for us to write in that particular genre or that particular <clears throat> style. So then it's like, well it kind of does get into that. Maybe they won't like it, or maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Maybe I'm just good because I'm writing in this particular style or genre. If I try to do something else, maybe I won't be as successful. And I'm, I'm trying to get over that. Um, I used to think that I couldn't write short stories because it's hard for me to condense 80,000 words into like, maybe 6,000 or 7,000, but I've done a couple short stories and, and I feel, I feel like I'm succeeding in it. So maybe that's what I have mm-hmm. to do with Westerns. I don't know. What kind of, what kind of writing do you guys enjoy? Enjoy writing in and would you ever jump out of that? Casey, you I'll, wanna I'll go let or you go, go first. <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, you were what you, uh, just hit my mic. Um, <laughs> you were talking about listening to the podcast and how we were talk- talking about Westerns. Well, that's that's what I'm doing. And that is actually me stepping out of my comfort zone because um, like our my debut novel that we just released, um, uh, it's called Gaslamps, uh, Gun- Gas Gunsmoke and Gothica, The Honeysuckle Horror. And it's kind of like set in this industrial slash Western setting with a little bit of magic and Gothic, like Gothic magic elements, supernaturalism. That's interrupt you. Is that the one where the dead keep, co- they, they just randomly come back all the time? Um, they do. That does happen okay. in the yeah, book. That's but, the one but, I want to read. Uh, you, you might be talking about, Vargas Bellamy, which is the, it's in the same series, but it's not Honeysuckle okay. Horror. Honeysuckle Horror is a bit of a prequel to that. Um, um, but that my, my comfort zone is classic high fantasy world building. It's specifically that like not even writing stories in classic. High, like I can sit down for hours upon hours world building a a totally original classic fantasy classic high fantasy uh setting um and i can do that for hours and that's my comfort zone and i know exactly what you're talking about where um you can feel lodged into it because like for me i can sit down for hours and do that but then as soon as i start trying to actually write a narrative Mm -hmm. and get into the writing the book part of things 
I lock up. Like, I'm just like, Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I freak out and, and wet writing Westerns writing in the weird West genre. That's little, like we were talking about genre is flexible, but writing in that was a bit of a step out of the comfort zone for me. Um, but I discovered that writing that came a little bit easier than even writing classic fantasy because I've grown up seeing this. And we talked about this on the episode, but um, I've grown up seeing this, you know, Mm -hmm. I've I've grown up seeing um, homes in 18th and 19th century style. I've grown up um, going to heritage sites with my like historical heritage sites with my family and, and just downloading this aesthetic of historical, you know, the, the historical United States. And then as I've gotten older, I've gone through a lot of education. Um, and that has given me a lot of inspiration to write in the weird West because I feel that I want to write stories that highlight some of the problematic elements of that world and, and of that, that kind of idealized America that a lot of people have. That's the theme that I built Gaslands, Gunsmoke and Gothica around for my side of the, of the series is deconstructing the imagined narrative of the, of America and the United States with some magic in there, you know, just, to highlight these things. And um, I found that that was pretty easy. It wasn't too difficult. Um, and and I'm kind of the opposite when it comes to long form storytelling versus short stories, because I have actually discovered that short stories are so much easier for me to write than long stories. I, I tend to um, get lost in the weeds <laughs> when I'm writing a long story. Uh, I, I get lost in the weeds when I'm writing a long story. I, I kind of fail to set up and pay off a lot whenever I'm writing a long story, but in a short story, I feel like I keep up with all of my subplots a lot easier. And it's just like, okay, I foreshadowed this here. Now I'm going to pay it off here. And it's, and it's so much easier to keep up with it if it's just, 50 pages away uh-huh. as opposed to 200 <laughs> pages away. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I um, agree with that. I do. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. I, I love the weeds of it though. I think that's why I like, <laughs> <laughs> like writing longer versions. Well, unlike Wyatt, um, I don't necessarily like writing short stories. I am an idealistic person in the sense that I love ideas. And when I'm creating a story, I like having these complicated, sometimes even convoluted story plots. Um, To give a little bit of background um, for my, for what I enjoy writing. um, The first thing I ever wrote was, (laughs) Oh God, this is embarrassing. Um, The first thing I ever wrote was when I was nine years old. Oh, God, that was like years ago. It was for World of Warcraft. Um, It was back in 2005. I think it was 2005. One of the two. It was 2004, 2005. And I had written 
a four page story about an adventure my character went on. And I started being part of the roleplay communities on World of Warcraft. And, you know, over time I read more, I wrote more, I roleplayed more, and you know, among the different games and stuff that I later went on to play, such as Lord of the Rings Online, and so on and so forth, I started experimenting with my own universes. Like, I love fantasy. The first fantasy novel, um, well, not novel, the first fantasy epic I ever read was The Hobbit. And I loved it. I, I fell in love with the whimsical journey of Bilbo going with the dwarves, you know, and exploring this mystical world. And I remember <laughs> the smile that I got on my face when I would read those books. And then I got to Lord of the Rings and I was like, what the hell? This is depressing. <laughs> Dark Lord, Nazgul's. I'm like eight. I don't understand these concepts. But the smile and later on the feelings of betrayal that I would get when I would read other works like um, Shadow and Bone, some of the Witcher books, Game of Thrones, um, which... A Song of Ice and Fire, you know, I, <laughs> all these fantasy books I read really inspired my writing. Um, the, the thing that brought me out of my comfort zone was Harwin Hospitality, which is um, an homage to one of my favorite authors, H.P. Lovecraft. Um, mm. His feeling, well, not feelings, his ideas of fear of the unknown and the subtle horror of the most mundane things in life you know it it just amazes me you know it sparks something when i read those and when i wrote harwin hospitality i was definitely out of my comfort zone because most of my writing in the past has been um fantasy stories in fact my big big project i'm about to delve into is a fantasy novel series that i have 15 books planned out for and i i don't know it's going to be really hard for me to break out of fantasy once i delve deep into it especially now that we're starting our professional like author line of work here so Especially 15 books deep. That's a commitment. <laughs> well, we, um, so we used to, uh, me and Wyatt and some others in our company, we used to role play um, on a game. And that's how we all met many, many years back. And the stories that our characters, you know, partook on and the custom lore we created and all of that is really shaping this series and it's so expansive that it it has to be you know a pretty long series 
I probably won't complete it until I'm like 73 and a <laughs> half, but you know. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Um, I'm a, f- a former role player too. So to take some of your adventures and to put them in a book or have them inspire a book is very cool. Oh yeah. I mean, everyone, I'd like to say as not only professional authors, but just as writers in general, we always have a story to tell. And what makes that story even better is being able to visualize it, taking something you created like your characters and role playing with them. Um, One story I wrote, um, and of course it was non-published, was about one of my necromancer characters on Skyrim. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take him on a journey just to see what I can get him into. And along the way, I would stop, kind of have him rest, and I would detail like what happened from his last resting point to this one. Mm-hmm. And I kept doing that and doing that. And that character later inspired as Wyatt may or may not remember one of our role-playing group's most notorious antagonist. So <laughs> he yeah. gives the chuckle. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for sure. And, and you know, I, I really think that like as writers, as writers, two of the most important things that you can do other than writing is reading and role playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because reading, you know, gives you a window into it gives you a window into somebody else's writing style. It, it allows you to critique yourself, it, yeah. you know, fairly critique yourself on somebody else, bouncing ideas. It allows you to see where someone else, like just different perspectives, really. Um, but then role playing, the reason why I say role playing is such an important thing to do as writers is because, especially if you're writing fiction, um, one of the hardest things to do is write characters mm-hmm. and, and write characters that differentiate, right? right? Like, like how, you know, characters that differentiate from each other, because a lot of times, um, for me, whenever I was just starting out, it was, it was such a struggle to make sure that every character sounds and thinks differently from right. each other because they all just kind of blended into my own voice. Did you struggle with things like yeah, that? Yeah, I do. Um, and I, I think that's one of the reasons that when I write, especially when I'm writing a character, I have to try to plot out, um, not necessarily build out their entire background. You know, they don't, I don't have to know if they like pudding or jello or anything, but it helps to know the character, some of the character's backstory and where they came from, because then that helps when you approach them with the decision with, you know, here's this problem, how they decide how they do something is going to be different based on their experiences. So I, I mm-hmm. completely agree with you. I never really thought of that as far as the role playing, but it is something that I am acutely aware of is to make sure that every voice uh, sounds different, even if they're even if I have two female cops 
you know, they still have mm-hmm. to be different because one grew up, you know, as an orphan or with, you know, one grew up with a big family. So they're going to solve problem solve differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And role playing as a role playing for me, um, is it's not only fun, like it's an exercise and it's a fun exercise to do, but it's an exercise and building different character voices mm-hmm. because you, you go like, for instance, if you're talking about something like Dungeons and Dragons, then you're, then you're talking about, you build a character from the ground up, you go through your character, you figure out their skills, their weaknesses, you figure out their flaws, their personality quirks, you figure out all of these things, their backstory. Um, and then you, 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 then you come to a table and you try your best to, to imagine how that person would act and play that out. And that is an exercise that you can then take to your writing desk as you're sitting down to write. Um, you're like, okay, I've done this before. I, I have put myself in the shoes and in, in the mindset of somebody of another person. And now I can, now all I have to do is, is put that on the, page and it's even better because you have you don't have the pressure of other people around you um you can wing it and (laughs) adding on to that wyatt um one thing that i would like to point out about role playing is not only is it a good exercise when it comes to character building but it's a really good exercise when it comes to world building as well um I mean, hell, look look at what we created when you and I used to roleplay with the others years back. I mean, while we had a foundation of lore, we built onto it and created something, you know, so much more expansive. And uh, I don't know. I think for anyone out there who's wanting to get into the writing world, um, but they're just like a little nervous to do it, roleplay. Go on Skyrim. I, I will always say Skyrim is probably one of the best tools for character building because while the game itself obviously has its own lore set, you can ignore that and take your character on this journey, see what happens, write it down, and then just go from there. Yeah, I like that. But I have a question, Fanny, that I have been absolutely dying like I, there's a casket next to me, starting to appear. Um, I'm an Aries, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> what is your biggest pet peeve as a writer? Oh wow. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, my biggest. Let's see. You know, I I have to say that, and and it's this isn't a knock against anyone. But it's so un- frustrating for me um, to have writers out there who are very successful from publishing fan fiction. And there's nothing wrong with fan fiction. Um, I used to write it myself. I, I just, I probably still would, except for I don't have time, any spare time that I have. I'm really. Writing a novel takes a lot, as you guys know. Oh, yeah. So any spare time I have to write, it's like, uh, I got to focus this on, on on this. I can't be messing with other things. And I think writing fan fiction is a great way to get into writing. Um, it allows people to express themselves. But it's just, for me, it's just, you know, I look at it and it's like, 
why? I, I just, I think there's, there's just, it's been done and, and they put their own spin on it, but it's the same thing. And it's just like, I, I just, and it, it seems like it's for, I don't know if it's for the money of it because it, it's like, can it be for the pleasure? But it's just that, that's kind of like, I say that's, that might be my, one of my biggest pet peeves. And I just, I'm getting riled up just thinking, just well, thinking you, you know, it, that's actually something I did not know about in like why you, you or Fanny one, please explain this to me. When you say they're successful, are they like financially successful with fan fiction? Well, they, they take, I mean, there's been a movie made from one of them. Um, Well, I don't remember if the movie was broken into three or four parts, but um, they, they, they took Twilight and they made a fan fiction out of it. 50 Shades of Grey. (laughs) 50 Shades of Grey. And it's like, it was a Twilight fan. It was a Twilight fan fiction and they changed some names and they made them a a billionaire instead of a vampire, I guess. And it's like, how did that? And like I said, it's nothing against her. I, I can't, I don't know if she's talented because I haven't seen the real her, I guess. And I'm just, it just, it's frustrating. It's like, we're doing this. This is, this is, and there's actually a few, there's a few of them. There's some Netflix um, (laughs) shows that originated from fan fiction and they, you know, they rose through the ranks and it's like, is this what we need to do? And I, I have seen a book that was literally word for almost word for word, the script for star Wars, the last Jedi or no, the star Wars, the force awakens. Um, but they changed the name. They changed like the name of the universe and everything like that. They didn't use copyrighted terms like Jedi and Sith, but it was the Force Awakens script, um, and it's on the market. Yeah, you know, it seems like it's cheating. <laughs> you know, here we are. We, we we come up with something, and I get you know when you say you come up with something original, it's like, well, your original take on it. But it's you know, then you have other people who are literally just taking someone else's work and maybe changing something and then they're you know claiming it as their own claiming it as their own and people are loving it and it's like you really guys this isn't this that's just bread you know this is uh this conversation is getting me riled up now <laughs> um <laughs> you know since, since we're on the topic of pet peeves first of all that um I'm so glad we're listing this episode as uh, having expletives on it because I- I'm just going to come out and say it, Wyatt and Fanny. Um, that shit pisses me off. There, <laughs> I said it. Like, it-, it irritates me as a writer more now than it used to. Now that I, you know, spent the last year and a half writing my own novel you know and helping other people with their journey that was just as challenging and when i see stuff like that it really really bothers me because here at coalescence publishing we're not here to make money we're not here to you know be this corporate publishing group like some other publishing houses are we're here to help build true enriching literary culture. And it 
pisses me off when you have genuine authors like Fanny Price or White Sutherland or even one of our other authors, uh, E. Marie or James, you know, like indie authors who are writing brilliant works original works and then you have joe blow over here who wants to rip off lord of the rings or star wars and he's making millions of dollars in tv deals it just it it seems wrong to me Mm -hmm. and i don't think they should be allowed to do stuff like that um to begin with so well so let's be clear (laughs) I want to make money. Like, <laughs> I mean, um, I, I, we, I, of course, we uh, do, but like, yeah. that's not the main, right? That's what, not what our mission is. Like, obviously, right. making money, like, yes, you know, fish gotta swim, why it's gotta eat. <laughs> yeah, but like, I would like to make money. Um, I, I think but, part of it is that, yeah, go ahead. you know, it's like, kind of like what White's saying, you know, um, you you, str- you you struggle with with something that's that's original that's you know your 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 hard earned work you you know blood sweat and tears you you've spent nights writing this and you know it's it's your original piece it's it's you and then someone else comes through with something that basically they've taken from someone else and repackage it and sell it as their own and they're so successful and it's it's one of those things where it's like I'm not begrudging their success but at the same time it feels like cheating mm-hmm it yeah, does it's definitely weird it's definitely i i can't imagine what i can't imagine what i would feel like since we're uh, on if the topic, i notice something like that since we're on the topic of cheating <laughs> um this wasn't on the, the uh, list of questions we sent you but um and of course if you don't want to answer that's you know more than fine we can edit this out but what are your thoughts on authors buying reviews from people not like not giving like review copies out that's a completely other thing i think that's perfectly fine but people who buy five-star reviews to kind of cheat the system i i think that's crap i i you know i I guess i could say something stronger since we're (laughs) we're putting a disclaimer on this but um I, i think it's i think it's bogus in a couple different things one it doesn't um it just inflates, you know, like like on a place like Amazon where people are looking at reviews and maybe they will buy something that has a hundred reviews, especially if they're five star reviews, as opposed to, you know, another book that maybe only has 20 reviews and they vary between, you know, five and two or, or five and one or, or whatever. But, you know, at least they're true because, my, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I work hard for my money and I'm very selective in what I'm reading. And sometimes if I'm reading a new author, I will look at those reviews and see, okay, well, what are people saying? It may not necessarily sway me, but it does have, you know, some sort of influence on, they're saying that this book is good. Let me give it a try. And then you read it and it's like, were you guys reviewing the same thing I was reviewing? Because this isn't the book that you guys promised. So, um, it, and it, it doesn't, 
it doesn't give you a level playing field because then again, if you have someone who is either, you know, has that integrity, so they're not going to buy reviews, they're going to solicit for them. You know, I'll give you a free copy if you give me your honest feedback or, you know, when people buy it, just, Hey, if you wouldn't mind giving me a review, that'd be great. But it's just something very dishonest and deceitful. And I know that there's nothing that can really be done about it. Um, but yeah, what I tend to do is look at Welcome those. Welcome to the internet. Right. <laughs> I go to the, the one star <laughs> and the two star reviews and see what it is that people are complaining about. And because you can kind of tell if it's something that's a little bit nitpicky or if it's saying, you know, what are you guys reading? These are the issues that I have with this book. So it's kind of like forewarned is forearmed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, a few months ago, story time. A few months ago, <laughs> I um, we were in communication with an up and coming author. Um, I won't say their name for obvious reasons, but we were in communication with a particular author who, you know. Not only, like, this author reached out to us, they wanted to partake in our podcast, they wanted to, um, you know, just not only partake, but they even wanted to become part of the studio. And I investigated them a little bit. I'm like, yeah, you know, like, show me some of your work. I don't care if you're published or not, just, you know, show me some of your writing. Well... This author sends me a link to their uh, book on Amazon. And it has 54 five-star reviews on it. And I'm looking at this, and I immediately think to myself, like, this guy only has, like, 40 Twitter followers, if that. And his book came out a month ago and he's already got 54 <laughs> five star you know like the the entire situation was just really like fishy to me and so i started looking through rev- the reviews and i noticed these these people who buy reviews they never specifically um it, like they're never specific about actual story elements or characters or plots they're very generalized and i picked up from the start you know like holy shit this guy is buying reviews and so i i asked him and i was like hey so here at the studio we value (laughs) transparency and honesty here are you buying reviews for your book and he told me no. If he would have told me yes and been honest with me, I would have been more open to you, you know, like helping him along and helping him gather like actual reviews and coaching mm-hmm. him to be a better writer and author. And he straight up lies to me. And I'm like, I'm talking to um, some people from the studio about this. And I'm like, if you guys ever buy reviews like that, that's it. You're, you're done. Like you're not going to be part of the studio like that. I think people who buy reviews are cheating the system. They're slapping us indie authors in the face. And I, I don't know, like 
it, it's a really shady practice. And as bad as I wish to uh, be able to do something about it and stop that practice, it's more rampant than what I originally perceived it to be. So rampant that it's hard to be stopped. So, you know, a part of me doesn't, I get why people would want to buy reviews, but at the same time, you want real feed to me the purpose of a review is for someone to give you real feedback and if they love it that's great um but if there's something wrong then i need to know that because especially since i'm doing a series i need to be able to pivot and and correct correct it and adjust things and become a better writer i mean that's kind of the the whole purpose of this is is to get better at your craft so buying reviews i mean I guess maybe it helps as far as sales go, but it just, it seems like just a waste, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's sad and it's, and it is very frustrating, but it's also in the end, which I know people don't care, you know, it's like, it hurts the writer, but obviously they don't care about that or else they wouldn't be buying reviews. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know how much a review costs, but I'm sure those services are pretty expensive and on, honestly, as a writer, the real money doesn't come from, you know, just one-off book sales here or there based on, you know, your reviews. It's based on creating a recurrent fan base mm -hmm. that genuinely enjoys your, um, your writing. Right. So true. And them telling their friend, oh, you've got to read this. This is awesome. You know? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, word of mouth. Word of mouth is probably one of the strongest marketing tools we have. Um, of course, I mean, there's like a lot of other marketing <laughs> tools, but. <laughs> um, and word of mouth is word of mouth is on the web. Yeah. Now. Like, you know, if you can get you can get. A couple of a couple of booktubers to check out your book and just do a video on it, whether they like it or not. I mean, publicity is publicity, right. really. Um, and so, you know, they might review it and you know not like it, but the person listening is like, "Well, that actually sounds like something I might right. like." So, um, what is the adage? There's no such thing as bad public publicity. Yeah, no such thing as bad right. Um. But uh, I do think we are out of time. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, we, we, yeah. we have one more question here if you two are down for it. I mean, I'm, I'm fine staying I'm, a little extra. I'm down. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So actually, I got two more questions, Fanny. So kind of staying on the topic of pet peeves, but kind of transitioning What's your biggest pet peeve as a reader? Um, you know, I th there's a couple of them, but I think my biggest is when the author feels like they have to over explain things. You know, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of a twofold. If I if they feel like they're spoon spoon feeding me something, you know, I I feel I'm not necessarily the brightest tool, but 
I can get things, I can get subtlety. And sometimes when I'm reading, and I wish I had an example to give you guys, but it's like, they'll say something, you know, the author will have their character say something. And then the meaning is, it's fairly clear, you know, maybe it's not, but it doesn't always, not everything has to be super, super clear. And I feel like maybe that's a product of our world now where we feel like every single thing needs to be explained to us ad nauseum. And, um, Mm. I see that in some writings and that immediately turns me off because they're, you know, leave it, leave some mystery and leave some things for me to figure out. And if I don't come to the same conclusion that you did as a writer, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe I get a different inference because of some other experience in my life. I think there's, there's room for ambiguity. And it seems like some books that I read, they don't want, the writer does not want that ambiguity. It's like, I want you to see that this line is gray. It's not black. It's not white. It's not ash gray. It is charcoal gray. And I'm going to explain that to you so that you yeah. perfectly understand that this is a charcoal gray line. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I, I don't need that. <laughs> and well, it's, oh, um, go ahead. Wyatt. Casey <laughs> or I can, <laughs> um, I think, I think, a, it boils down to two things whenever an author kind of over explains. It's a lack of trust that the reader is going to get it. Like if it's over explaining emotions in a scene, like he did this angrily or he or she did this, um, you know, happily, mm-hmm. you know, just like they over explain emotions, then that that kind of boils down to an author not trusting the reader to get it. Like you don't get how they're doing this and and like that that you're right and you know readers we as authors kind of have to drop the ego a little bit and just like be just say the readers are gonna get it the audience is gonna know if i give them the context clues that they need of like what the situation is like they're gonna get I don't need to use all these adjectives and adverbs to describe this right. stuff. And then the, the second thing that it boils down to is a misunderstanding of your role as the author. And that this is something that I was going to, I was going to say with the topic of fan fiction as well, which is that we as authors, you know, we have these intellectual property rights and we have all of these things that modern, that really are very young in modern society. These concepts of us owning a thing, owning the stories that we write. Um, but the real, the reality of the matter is that um, as soon as that book's in the audience's hands, uh, there's nothing that you can mm-hmm. do to, to, to tell them anything more than what you've written. There's nothing that you can do to tell them anything more than, I mean, than what you've written. You could show up to their house and then you have their order information <laughs> while they're reading it. No, no. See, what yeah. I meant there was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, commentary. But like, that's the problem, right? It's like there's too much. Like that. That is what over-explaining in a text boils down to is commentary. It's author commentary. It's like I want you to understand. Like I want you to get it. Um, but the real fact of the matter is that these stories, we write them, the readers read them, and the readers are going to read it 
read into these stories things that we never would have exactly. thought of. And they're gonna they're gonna and they're gonna experience the text in ways that that are maybe even like not even in line with what we thought when we were writing the text. And but that is what death of the author means. With all so. due respect, Wyatt, um and Fanny, I th- I'm getting used to having someone else on here. <laughs> um, uh oh, I'm gonna become a regular now. <laughs> hey, I could get used to that. Um, I think we have some good energy flowing in this conversation, but with all due respect, I honestly think it depends a lot on the genre as well. Um, you know, obviously, certain genres require or even utilize over explanation as part of their underlying style. Like for me, when I wrote Harwin hospitality, um, the entire story is told through a first person narrative. It's important for me to display what the main character is feeling in a particular situation. Um, without of course going into too much detail, um, that, to the point it becomes excruciating, but I, I honestly think it depends a lot on the, on the genre. You know, I think though, to your point with that, if it's from the standpoint of, uh, of a character and this is what the character does and this is how Hello? the character um, interacts, I think that can be forgiven as opposed to if it's the author writing it in there because they they don't trust oh, their right. reader. Like, <laughs> I was reading something a few years back. This conversation made me think of it. This guy was like, <clears throat> oh, God, um, I'm just going to use a fake name here. Lord Wyatt looked at his princess and smirked. I love you. He said lovingly. And I'm like, of course he said that lovingly. Like, it's like, no, he's going to say it like he hates her. <laughs> um, I got one more question for you, Fanny. Okay. If you could change anything in the literature world, what would it be? Um, you know, and, and this is not going to change, but if I could change it, um, I think it would. I would want to make it easier for inexperienced new writers to make it as authors. Um, I, I just there. It's very hard, you know. It's and and it's and why I say I, I I know it's not never going to change is because so much of this is based on either who you know or if you're new, if someone likes your work, you know, if an agent likes your work or if a publisher likes your work um, or if a literary, you know, somebody out there reads your, your query letter from the hundreds that they receive and say, huh, this no name person, I'm going to give them a chance. Um, So I would, I think that's my, like the one thing that I would change is to make it where it's easier for that, that new person starting in to get their foot at least in the door. And if they, if they screw up their chance from there, you know, that's on them, but at least it gives them a chance because, um, you know, I, I went the whole query letter route and sent it off and, you know, 
rejects, rejects, rejects. Some people, oh, this is interesting. Or, you know, your work is really interesting, but it's not what we're looking for, or it's not our style. And I get that. But at the same time, it's like, well, I gotta try somewhere. (laughs) I need someone to give me a chance. So, um, yeah, I think that's one of the things that I would change. Well, that's really interesting that you bring that up. Um, so Coalesce's Publishing, Fanny, um, we started because I have a friend in real life. Um, I went to college with him, and he is an absolute brilliant – well, he was an absolute brilliant person. And he spent four years of his life um, – in fact, the people at the studio don't even know this story. Um, so forgive me if I get a little <laughs> emotional here. But this this guy, you know, he he was one of my best friends. I went to college with him, and he spent years writing this beautiful, beautiful work. Um, it was this existentialist novel that transcends multiple genres you know the first few chapters is urban fantasy then it transitions to fantasy then later on it becomes a thriller and then later on you know it just keeps evolving and i read it and it was perfect you know he spent his life savings to get this 400 plus page oh my gosh edited by a professional editing service and he started sending query letters out and trigger warning for um those of you listening in and stuff he spent two years sending query letters out and he invested like the past five to six years of his life into creating this and he was starting to get really depressed with it and he sent it to this group who I really hope they crashed and burned. And that's, you know, I'm, I try not to be a very vile person, but these people really, really deserved it because not only did they give him a denial letter, but they were flat out mean to him by telling him it was in a quote trash. Um, he should not be an author at all. That was what he was going to write. He took his life a week after receiving that letter. And it really pissed me off, you know, and that stuck with me over the years. And, you know, my current friend group, um, you know, they're my best friends and stuff. I started writing with them, role playing with them and stuff. And one day I was just like, one of them asked me, you know, like, why don't you try to publish a book? And I'm like, well, it's the entire publishing process with some of these people. It, it takes longer to write query letters and to get your foot in the door than it does to actually write the novel itself. And, so many times aside from my friend i've seen other brilliant authors stop writing people who legitimately have a gift they stop writing because these these companies these um 
literary agents, these publishing groups, they don't care about the writer. They care about the money that the writer's mm -hmm. work will bring in. So I started Coalesce's Publishing, where we accept any writer, any genre. Um, obviously, we're not going to do anything, you know, that's overly political or racist or, you know, no, nothing crazy like that, obviously. But, you know, the traditional literature genres, we accept any of those. And essentially... I, at coalescence like we are we are attempting to redefine what the standards are for writers to, to get their foot in the door because mm -hmm. um the standards that traditional publishing and and larger publishing houses use um can be problematic and they can exclude people um they can exclude people of color they can exclude lgbtq writers um and they can also exclude writers who are young and need the opportunity to have their work critiqued and uh and and won't get that opportunity if they're just told your stuff's bad take it back um so that's essentially what we're trying to do is is give new authors the chance and be more inclusive in our in our you know what who, and who gets to be part of the conversation at the studio. and not only to give them a chance but to give them the tools that they need for their success um there's a lot of writers out there who you know if they accept an isbn for self-publishing for free they're losing out on like 70 80 percent of their royalty fees to self-publish for free through certain companies here we not only supply their isbns and barcodes for free but we also make sure that they retain the full rights to their work we make sure that they retain at least 80 percent of royalty fees from all sales including merchandise for their books um, we market their books for them, you know, like that. Our vision is to bring these writers into the literary world so we can help create culture. So, well, hats off to you guys for that. I think we need more of that. Um, less big publishing houses and more people who are looking to reach out to new writers and say, yeah, let me, let me look at your stuff. Let me get you out there. Let me help you get get to where you want to go and then at Absolutely. the same time you know that that helps you guys so uh, you know hats off to you guys i, I love that idea well, and not just an idea yeah. i should say <laughs> <laughs> well we definitely appreciate it um it's something we have spent the last what why year really focusing on yeah it'll be a year um in october Next Coming month. up on your anniversary. <laughs> I know. I got the cake waiting. Um, but, Fanny, before I turn the recording off here, do you have uh, anything you'd like to say to us or to our audience or anything? 
Um, thank you. First of all, this has been a blast. I couldn't think of a, a better way to spend a Friday evening <laughs> than talking with you guys. Um, and I will do a shameless uh, promotion. My my third novel, Came Back Haunted, is due to come out October 26th, and I'm looking to do uh, pre-sales pretty soon. And I'm I'm really excited about this one. Well, you heard it here, folks. You better pick up that novel. It's from what we've read of Fanny's work and from talking with her, she is a very, very talented writer who obviously has a gift. So um, definitely pick it up. And thank you for coming on too. Um, Yes. Yeah. You, you have been great to speak with. Well, I would love to do this again. So thanks guys. All right. Well, Guys, listeners, writers, and authors, and whoever else may be tuning in, Aliens on Mars, it has been an absolute pleasure letting you all listen in. And until next time, I hope you all keep writing. I hope you all keep reading. And we'll see you next time.